2: Go to Bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at Bluenile.com for $50 off. Bluenile.com code LISTEN.
3: You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by Daytona Motorsport, Milton Keynes. Today's episode is called Verified Fake. I'm your host, Richard Spanners-Ready, and I'm joined by Matt to Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? Uh,
0: It's going pretty good, you know, given the last minute violin recital I had to attend. How about yourself? I hear that you were up to things and stuff yesterday.
3: Yeah, well, I did vow to you at the beginning of the year that I was going to leave the shed and do things in real life. And that involved meeting and touching listeners and supporters from Missed Apex podcast. Ooh, touching. So it was the Missed Apex podcast karting at Daytona Motorsport yesterday, and we're all still buzzing, we're all still on a high. You won't believe this, Matt, but Bradley Philpot did win the event.
0: Really, I'm shocked and surprised, and certain he must have done some, some something illegal in order to pull that sort of a thing off.
3: Well, wow. there, there was uh, some suggestion of track limits. We are going to get it fully investigated to see if the result stands. But, but actually, there's about three guys who were at that standard: Van Jean, obviously, is pretty good. Carter, uh, and then a guy called Craig McAllister, who was at the British Rental Kart Championships as well. So those guys were just an absolute class apart, and it was absolutely soaking wet on the track and i've I've never done that before it's incredibly difficult
0: yeah i i saw some of actually brad put up some video and i watched some of it yesterday on youtube it did look like um how did they call monza an adventure
3: yeah absolutely and i got all this advice make sure you take the outside line stay off the racing line but the problem is staying off the racing line means going very close to the outside of the track and the barriers and the outside of the track is very close to the barriers and in the wet you try and turn it just doesn't turn and the solution to that as you're hurtling towards the barrier is to put your foot on the not the brake not the safe one the accelerator pedal to get the car sideways and then and then trust that some grip is going to appear magically and that happened nearly half the time the the rest of the time i was in the barriers off the track spinning
0: yeah well it, that that is some entertaining advice and i'm guessing it needs a lot of practice to work in yeah. real
3: life. Yeah, it does. I mean, it it was the most fun I've had in a go-kart. If we could book another event, I would book a dry event. However, uh, in the wet, that was a, a heck of an experience. And it was so good to meet so many listeners and my panel mates, the ones who could be bothered to turn up, Matt.
0: Indeed. Yeah. Those who actually live on your side of the pond, you mean?
3: Yeah. So we'd love to get you over and do it. But the the great news about this event was not only did we fill it with 30 guys, we had a waiting list of 10 as well. And it was over the period of Christmas where the people who came basically sacrificed their children's presents to to pay up and book to come with us. I think if we do a spring event, I think we could have a real kind of Mist Apex Festival of Karting, make a full afternoon of it with 60 or so people. So look out for details of that in the future. But that is not what we're here to talk about today. Today, we are here to tell you we're an independent podcast hosted by Podcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. Now, today, we are joined by not just Matt Trumpets, not just grumpy old Matt in the shed. In the shed, squeezed in with us is Twitter legend Mark McArdle, aka Fake Charlie Whiting. How are you doing, Mark? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me in your shed, lads. Okay, so just to remind you, it is safe for work. If you can do three swears a show less than Joe would you're probably doing okay. I'll try my best. No guarantees. So, so, Mark, before we start, you, you are a Canadian. You are a Canadian citizen. You, you said Canadian very, very strangely. I'm
4: a Canadian, but I'm also British. I was born in England. Aha. Thus, the uh, sense of humor, the ties to the, to the uh, homeland, uh, the many trips I do there for business
3: and pleasure, dual passports. Uh, so it's all, it's all worked out nicely for me. Sorry. I didn't mean to say Canadian with such suspicion. It's just, uh, you don't come across them very often. Well, you don't have to apologize. The Canadians apologize. I'm sorry you mispronounced it. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, so obviously you've got Stroll fighting your corner in Canada. How's he been received by the Canadians? Are you all very proud of him All behind him, raring to go? Well, I, I think uh, this season he uh, put his name in the
4: top of the charts a few times and that helped. I think there was some suspicion. You know, the usual things that people are talking about. <clears throat> how did he get in? Uh, obviously his father's well-known. But I think uh, you know it's fair to say he uh, he's there on merit. You know he, uh, he with the podiums, the uh, the timings he's posted. I'm I'm pleased. You said that with a straight face, so I'm going to assume that you are genuinely pleased. Okay, well he's he's no Jill, <laughs> uh, and he's not a Jacques. So so he's 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 his own man. We'll leave
3: it at that. We'll see how 2018 does. That feels exactly the same as as a Brit when people say you know oh are you are you guys fans of Jolie and Palmer and we're like, well well. Well, we, we wish him no particular harm, I suppose. <laughs> that's, very, that's very polite. Yes. <laughs> uh, look, for those of you who don't know, Mark runs a very successful and funny Twitter account posing as a fake version of the race director, Charlie Whiting. And you do quite clearly say fake Charlie Whiting, uh, but, but you also do have then a picture of Charlie Whiting as your profile picture. Do you get mistaken for people thinking that you are an FIA representative? Well, I am pretty clear about it. I've been clear from the beginning. But some people, uh,
4: they do, I guess they're slower than others and they they think that I'm actually the Charlie Whiting. Um, What's funnier, though, is that some people come up to Charlie still and say, oh, Charlie, I love your tweets. And he (laughs) has to explain that he's not exactly sure
3: what a Twitter is and it's someone else. Does that get tiring after... I mean, you've had that account for some nine years now. Does that start to grate, or can you maintain a polite sense of humour about it?
4: Oh, I I keep a sense of bewilderment and a sense of
3: humour about it all. I I can't believe where fake Charlie has gotten me. Well, we'll get to more of where it's got you a little bit later, but do you mind if I just roll it kind of all the way back? So did you just... I mean, at that time, 2009, I was only vaguely aware of social media at all. I think I'd only just got my first computer. So did you have any links with F1 or any F1 media? Or did you just sort of go, do you know what? I'm just going to off my own back, make a parody account. And suddenly the whole internet just went, hey, that's a great idea. Let's follow that guy. Well,
4: it actually came from a few things. So I was aware of Twitter uh, since it first came out and wasn't sure what to make of it. But when the 2008 presidential elections were happening, I discovered that Twitter is really useful for a shared real-time experience. And as you're watching a debate or you're watching something else that's, you know, the Oscars, uh, events that are happening in real-time, there was another layer of the experience that was happening through Twitter. And some people are very serious and have poignant observations. Other people are just funny. Other people are complete morons. But that was another layer that I thought was interesting. It was a, a new way to experience uh, something that you' were having uh, happen over TV so with my passion for Formula One, I started thinking about how would Twitter and Formula One sort of meld together and being a Canadian you know at Malaysian free practice two at three o'clock in the morning you're you're sit- sitting alone those sessions are not typically all that exciting, and Twitter was basically an interesting way to interact and I thought about, well, who would I want to be because I'm not all that interesting myself, but I thought, Hey, I pretend to be someone who's actually interesting and, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes.
0: Yeah. Well, you're not the only one who's not interesting by themselves. Cough, cough
3: spanners. (laughs) I need you.
0: (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. So, so that's really interesting to me that, that you, you spent some time thinking about who you wanted to be. I remember when I joined Twitter, I just sort of joined Twitter and then thought about all the rest of it later. Did you first find people online um receptive to your new identity
4: yeah i it 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 sort of took off pretty quickly uh, I think uh the genesis for picking Charlie I think is what sort of drove everything i've I've done with the account where I looked at drivers and and I have favorite drivers from different eras. I have favorite drivers. Today, I don't have a single favorite driver I will support at all costs. And I thought, well, who's the one person in Formula One that I've always thought is really enigmatic, someone you don't hear much from, but someone who's in the center of it all. And Charlie was the obvious character. So I started tweeting as as if I was Charlie Whiting, but I wasn't inhibited. I said the things and think the things that Charlie probably could never say.
0: And that would, too, be because if you pretended to be fake Bernie, you would probably be sued to death for that.
4: Yeah, Pasquale would have
3: found a hole in the desert to bury me in. And, and I think that, I think that's key. That's been key to the continued success of it has been that uh, Charlie Whiting himself has been reasonably receptive. And my thought came to, to mind there: if you had done a driver a while back, say you had been Jensen Button, fake Jensen Button, and now he's kind of out of the limelight, picking the race director is kind of a more guaranteed longevity in a way. But also, my thought is actually if fake charlie whiting if Ch- the real charlie whiting retires tomorrow the fake charlie whiting is now big enough in itself that 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 will continue almost regardless <laughs> of him so, so in a way did you help make charlie whiting as a personality no
4: <laughs> i think that's overstepping a bit uh, i think uh more people maybe know about charlie whiting uh in the f1 fan world than than maybe did before and uh you know i'm I'm pleased about that because I think he is one of the most interesting people in the sport. He's one of those unsung heroes who uh just makes the show happen every fortnight and uh you know he's in the center of all the drama so I think uh that you know longevity part that you spoke of really wasn't in the math when I was figuring out what I wanted to do with, uh, with a Twitter account. I just thought Charlie's really interesting. I think it would be fun to say the things to drivers that he wishes he could say probably. And, uh, and, and, you know, here we are today, nine years later.
0: Was there a tweet that you can say, yeah, this is where I went from being just another Twitter user to like you, you came back to your mentioned, you were like, oh, oh my, look at that.
4: You know, there's, there's been a few tweets, um, where uh, I generally know the line and uh, there was one in particular, and I'm going to leave it as an exercise to the listener or viewer to go and figure out which one it was, but it had to do with an event where Sebastian Vettel had, had uh, set the record for most polls. And I, I, I instantly came to my mind as many of the tweets do just sort of came out of nowhere. And I thought, Hmm, I got to check with this one. And I said it to my wife and she laughed and I said that's all I need to know and I tweeted it and she went you didn't and I did but but generally um you know I I do this with uh obviously I love the sport and with all of its bizarreness and self-inflicted injuries uh, I'm a passionate formula 1 fan I I think the people in it are truly heroic for the types of uh lifestyles they choose to live to bring us this show uh the personalities are big there's huge amounts of money involved but uh, at the end of the day, I love the sport, and and I try to have my tweets sort of reflect that. I I, I take the you know what out of it. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll not channel Joe Saywood and just say take the, the Mickey out of it.
3: Take the Mickey out of it. There take we
4: the Mick. There, there you yeah. go. a very British way to say it. I'll take the Mick out of Formula One. Uh, and ultimately, even people like Mark Webber have confirmed that to me when when he asked me, you know, how, how do you uh, how do you feel about uh, the sport? And uh, explain, you know, I I think it takes itself too seriously sometimes, and you know, I kind of poke fun at it
3: uh we've actually got bradley philpot in our live chat room that you listeners can join by subscribing to missed apex podcast on youtube search missed apex podcast click subscribe and a little bell and you'll get a notification every time we go live and uh, bradley's there saying to you welcome to missed apex podcast charlie uh, i believe you've actually had a coaching session at palmer sport with bradley philpot i i have indeed in fact let me
4: just go off camera because i see in the chat he asked how my last one went yep in uh, december i'll
3: be right back Okay, and if you look in Mark's uh, background, actually, he's got a replica Michael Schumacher helmet in there in a glass case. So that might give away some of his allegiance. So I would like to dedicate this to Bradley Philpott,
4: my first instructor at Palmer Sport.
3: That's
4: the champion trophy for the day, fastest in all time sessions.
3: Oh, so it is actually it's not subjective. It's based on time. It's just on time. Based on you know (laughs) bathing suit contest or something. It was lap times. So, uh, Mark, you've got this good question here from a fellow Canadian in the chat room who says, uh, it's Rob Graham. And he says, Hey Mark, what year did you start following F1? So have you been a lifelong fan? Well, I have. My father got me into it and, uh,
4: he was a big Jackie Stewart fan being a Scotsman. Uh, so I remember watching races with him. I must've been four or five years old watching. And then when Jackie started commentating for ABC sports, uh, I remember vivid, uh, his uh, excited exultations uh, as he's commentating the races in Detroit and places like that.
3: Good. I think the chat room is sated there. I got distracted because this is quite a busy chat room. It's almost as if you have a huge social media following. How many Twitter followers is it now these days? 50-odd?
4: 50-something thousand. Yeah. I say to my my children, who hate this every time I do it, I'll make some dad joke and... They'll say, that's not funny. And I'll say, well, over 50,000 people think I'm funny.
3: <laughs> oh, that would so, be such good yeah. leverage to have over the children. My children also no don't think I'm funny. have no leverage on the children. Yeah. They still shake their head and walk away. <laughs> so then, um, speaking of 50,000 followers, you were probably around the 19,000 follower mark if the articles I read from the time were accurate when the mm. invitations started coming in. So you've got the mm. attention of the real Charlie Whiting. And- he's sent you an invite to come to the paddock. Now, my first instinct when I was reading that was that has so much potential just for awkwardness. It's one of those things that it feels like a good idea. Oh, there's a guy that pretends to be me on the internet and then I'm going to meet him in real life. And and then after the first five mm-hmm. seconds of establishing each other's identity, you know, what then? How did that meeting go?
4: <laughs> well, let me start first with how that meeting came to be. And I got a message, a direct message from one of my followers who said, uh, hey, I'm a relative of Charlie's, and I get with him, uh, get together with him with family events, Christmas, Easter. And I was showing him your tweets at the last time I saw him. He thought they were quite funny and asked who I was. And when he found out I was Canadian, he said, well, why don't you introduce us, and I'll see if he wants to be my guest in Montreal. So you can imagine what my reaction to that question was. Um, now, once that happened, uh, you know, lots of back and forth, and I'm getting emails from Charlie Whiting, in my inbox and to this day every time that happens i just sort of stop and pinch myself but we're coordinating when i'm going to show up and uh journalists as they uh, are always looking for an interesting story one of the canadian journalists picked up on this interviewed charlie interviewed me and uh, and that was the moment i lost my anonymity and i felt a little you know sad about that because i quite enjoyed having people not knowing who i was because there was all kinds of speculation that i was a member of a team because i seemed to have inside details on things or i had to be a journalist so this you know i'm sitting three thousand miles away in canada you know people think i'm deep in the center of the circus but uh, but ultimately charlie arranged for me to meet with him at his hotel i picked up the paddock pass and this isn't one of those chintzy champagne and cracker type paddock passes from up top this is an fia charlie whiting has given you a paddock pass gets you pretty much everywhere Um, And once the uh, once the news was out that Charlie Whiting was more than okay with his Twitter impersonator, then the teams opened up and they a lot of the folks had told me we were we were not following you, but we were reading your tweets after the race sitting in the airport. One of the things we do is relive the race through fake Charlie Whiting's eyes. And when Charlie was seen to be more than cool with me, then they were overtly following. And then I got invitations
3: into garages and everything else. And it just took off from there. I just wanted to go back a little bit in what you were saying about losing your anonymity. So mm-hmm. was, that, um, was that a hindrance in a way? Because then you felt like, oh, now I have to kind of watch myself a little bit more. Or was it just like, oh, actually, it's good. I now get the credit, me as Mark.
4: Well, I didn't really, I didn't want the credit. I mean I, I think the uh the the anonymity was nice in that I could do whatever I wanted it you know as long as I stayed respectful it was all good fun uh I think on the whole the fact that I uh, I've been outed you know my my Bruce Wayne and Batman is uh, now now well known uh I think the perks of that more than uh, take over for the uh the limitations that might come along with it
3: Yeah so yeah yeah but is there any kind of chance that it would just affect your personal life at all? Well, I'll give you a great example of how it became awkward.
4: So, uh, one of the many tours I, I managed to get was with, uh, Mercedes that first year. And, uh, that year, Michael uh, Schumacher and, uh, Nico Rosberg were, were the drivers. And I was having lots of fun on Twitter that year. Um, Calling Nico, his famous nickname Brittany. Ooh! So uh, Evan Short, who is the head of Trackside Electronics at Mercedes, was giving me an amazing tour. He's a Canadian, so we had that in common. He gave me a great tour, and as you've noticed, you know, with my hands banging around, sometimes when I'm passionate, I'm telling a story. Uh, Nico walks by, and uh, Evan says to him, "Well, hey, you're not calling him Brittany right now." And and Nico looks back at me and just gives me the thumbs up. So I, I felt a little bit ashamed of that, you know, you know, stand behind your words, but you know, it's a, it's Nico Rosberg, you know, you're not going to you know make fun of him to his face, I guess. But then I carry on with my exciting story and my hands go wide and I hit something, and as I turn to see what I've hit, it's Michael Schumacher walking past me, <laughs> heading out of the garage. So I'm like, oh, my God, I just had a shunt with Michael Schumacher. And he looked back and smiled, so I felt, felt good about that. But that was a true brush with greatness. So
3: you know, these things are – you
4: never know what's going to happen when you're, when you're in these situations. You're it's lucky
3: not all F1 drivers from that era reacted very well to getting hit in the head. Was it Montoya who just went absolutely nuts at a journalist? Oh, probably. For getting yeah, hit on the head. Yeah, that's 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 really funny, because we sit here and, and there's a, a lot of bravery just being, you know, sat in front of a screen or on a Twitter account. And you like last week, we made a parody song about Williams being all about the money. And but you go, well, if Claire Williams was sat in front of me, actually, it would be hero worship. Mm-hmm. So there's a yeah. there's a line now where you're going to actually bump into these people where you have to pause before you hit the tweet button. You know, something came up
4: on one of your previous podcasts with Joe Saywood that I thought was really interesting for him to say. And it's that uh, we, we don't think of the uh, F1 media as journalists or we, we shouldn't because they are part of the circus and they're going to write objective stories, but they're still supporters of it. And and I think they're in a similar situation to you know what we would be. Tweeting something that might be funny, but ultimately awkward if we're face to face with them. If they write a story that might be embarrassing to a team principal, their access may be you know, affected or the relationship may be affected. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, you
3: know, everything has consequences. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Matt, me and Matt still don't live as if there's any, but just talk to me about the growth of the account because there's got to be, there's certain stages, especially with Twitter, where you're out there talking to no one or you're trying to get in on. Other threads and conversations and generally will be ignored because it's not like Facebook with your friends and family. It can be quite a a one way, you know, thing at times. So you must have suddenly noticed at some point you're you're tweeting things and you go, well, 10 people liked it. Oh, now there's six replies. And then if you look on your timeline now, you will just tweet an inane thing and there's a hundred likes on there. So like, how did that feel as it was growing? How did that change your attitude to it?
4: Well, it, it is still really fun when you tweet something that makes you you laugh yourself, and then you instantly see your Twitter feed go into the matrix mode, and it's just a stream of people pmsling, and you know that that's that's fun. That's 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 when you know you've added something to the experience,
3: and and that's what I like about Twitter. So when you get to that stage, though, do you just kind of you get notifications, and you just there's no way you can scroll through all those notifications? No. It's really
4: hard there. There are some, uh, you know, I use uh, TweetDeck and I, I've got a set of uh, folks that I pay particular attention to and no, I won't tell you who they are, but when they tweet something, they're typically things that I'm interested in and often tee me off.
3: Sure. Sure. You're, you're nearby that list. <laughs> I'm, I'm list adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, you suddenly realize people are, are reacting to your tweets, what you don 't tend to do is you never get dragged into like a flame war, whereas a lot of yeah. people, especially at my kind of level, especially podcast hosts, um, you might have noticed occasionally get friction, brush up against each other with such interaction. How do you partition that? Well, I learned a lesson
4: early. Uh, do you remember the uh, booing on the at the podium? The thing that was driving some yes. of us mad. We just thought, look, these are exceptional athletes. You might not, they might not be your favorite team or driver, but if they've reached the podium, don't clap or clap, but no booing. And and I got into some back and forths with some people that just said it was like a right of every fan to, to express themselves however they want. And I said, well, yes, you have a free, freedom of expression, but what about respect for the sport? And so, so I've learned to not get into those types of arguments with people that otherwise will never change their mind. But that is, a ch- that is not easy on Twitter at times. You have to bite your tongue.
3: <laughs> it, it is. And I know a driver who is banned by his immediate agents and team and family and friends around him from tweeting anything political. Because he's very, you know, he's a very political animal, much like I am, and I've had people say to me, "You shouldn't be uh, expressing your political view on the Spanners Ready account." And I go, "Well, it's just my opinion." (laughs) So it must be sometimes tempting when you see, like, I don't know, some human rights issue or something that appeals to you to then want to send that to fifty thousand fans, and then you have to go, "Well, actually, they're F one fans." Well,
4: you know, I I also discovered a long time ago that that people don't mind generally when I tweet. Things like the Queen's Jubilee and the flotilla, uh, the Academy Awards, uh, you know, other races, you know, IndyCar races. I I often live tweet, um, you know, tennis. I, I mean, it, it's it's just fun. And I think the politics side, uh, that's where things. You know, I get a lot of people saying when I express my views about what's going on in the U.S. You know, the people that support the current administration saying, why don't you just stick to Formula One? You know, the usual types of stuff. And you go because. That's a terrible thing. I just (laughs) point point out that there's a big unfollow button that they can go and press.
3: Yeah, exactly. Uh, So from your point of view as well, just from a wish fulfillment point of view, when it comes to social media, forgetting about real life um, in the real world, we had a moment where Damon Hill followed the Missed Apex podcast account. And that pops up on your phone. Damon Hill follows you. And he was like my first F1 hero as a (laughs) teenager. And you just go, oh my God, Damon Hill, you know. I don't know why he's see done my, that. my helmet? Uh, you've got see your Michael helmet? Schumacher helmet in the background. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's a Ferrari helmet as well. Uh, so <laughs> yes. there's a signature on that. Is that his? That is his. <gasps> I
4: didn't put that there myself no that's that's actually it's actually his i'm just pointing that out to rub rub the
3: whole damon hill schumacher thing <laughs> oh right so basically face. i went to I know
4: that's a sore subject for you
3: i went to tenerife you went to 11 a reef is what you're trying to do to me there and the fact that i was telling you earlier how much it hurt in 1994 we're not going to get on that again um but but you must get those those moments where you suddenly go oh you know the mercedes account is following you whatever and you just go how why why me like, do you get imposter syndrome at all, and you think, why, why, why am I getting this attention? Well, my immediate thought when I see
4: someone like when Nico Rosberg followed me, I, I, my first thought was, good God, why, why would he do that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would, I, I'd love to actually get an answer to that. Um, you know, others followed me because I, I think it's, it's taken on a bit of a life of its own. Like Zach Brown at uh, McLaren follows me, and you know, like wow, that's that's pretty nice. I uh, maybe direct message him and you know say good
3: job on the power unit change maybe. And and you know? do you do that because when I got fake Charlie Whiting follows you on Twitter I was straight in the DMs dude dude yeah what's up <laughs> well, come and talk to well, us. I try not to be that eager. All right okay so play it cool next time. <laughs> play a little cool. When Hamilton eventually follows me when he's uh, finished his social media embargo that I'll play it nice and slick I'll just be like, sup dude. That's how I roll. So can you just now Tweet any f one celeb you like or teams, and they sort of would feel a social pressure to respond to you
4: uh no, it depends on the team uh, uh, you know renault and uh and mercedes uh force india they've they 've been lots of fun the The team that i can 't get so much as a a smirk out of is Ferrari, and I have tried uh, I have tried many different ways, many different times. Uh, in the paddock you know lots of teams most teams have even like had me into the hospitality at least not not garage tours so I'm incredibly lucky by that but I can't even get the time of day from the Ferrari
3: team so it's very strange they're a different breed a different lot well you're not alone I don't think because I know Joe was actually quite animated on the subject of Ferrari just closing up especially midway through the season when things were starting to go wrong they just shut up shop this season so I think they've got less of that obligation to talk to people. But it's such a contrast when teams like Renault, Mercedes, Force India are so good and so active on social media.
4: Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of fun with them. It, and that, and I said, it, you see some of the long threads where teams will interact and then I'll pipe in with something from race control and then they'll respond back. And it, it's, it's generally through maybe the duller parts of a session or uh, uh, during, uh, during, a, during a delay. But, but all in all, it, it's good fun. But so, someone told me a couple of years ago, in the paddock that uh, the reason Ferrari people generally aren't all that happy looking is that at Ferrari, when you're not winning, you're not supposed to look like you're happy. And I think they have perfected that
3: uh, for Paul Wright says Ferrari, a rubbish at humor, shock, horror, Uh, Christopher <laughs> Fonseca how are Ferrari the least enthusiastic Italians on the planet? Uh, and we've got Hannah in the chat room there who has simply written, ah, it's signed as well, talking about the helmet. And uh, we have a follow-up question. People would like to hear how it came about that you have that helmet and signed.
4: Um, well, uh, in 2008, uh, I was building my, my Formula One man cave that I'm sitting in, also known as fake race control. And uh, I wanted to have something that was the anchor Uh, piece the crown jewel of my man cave so i uh, i procured that um that helmet a replica of the final helmet that uh shumi wore for ferrari and it has um on it all of the races that he's won all the names of the races that he's won in his career
3: so do you mind if i ask you a little bit about actual oh. fake not fake Char- see in my head he's actually now called fake Charlie Whiting the the real life human Charlie Whiting um, <laughs> when you when you met him you know how does he come across because we just get a very kind of stern matter of fact it's been a oh. little bit better seeing him in the, the driver briefing videos that the FIA have started putting out um, but yeah. you don't get any indication of him as a person so how, how did he come across to you because he's someone who's got so much influence in the sport we all love and we know very little about him well, I'll say first, Charlie has an
4: incredibly well developed sense of humor, and the fact that he tolerates me, I think is great evidence of that uh when I first met him uh it was with uh Bert, he was with herbie, and he and herbie were hilarious together. They finish each other's sentences uh they are tr- true gentlemen uh fun guys and I think that's difficult for him i think as you know you started to see in the last few years. Uh, some sessions where Sky would interview him at Silverstone during big rain delays, and now the driver's uh, briefings are starting to be broadcast. So you're starting to see a bit more from him, but traditionally he's avoided media because you know frankly there's more to lose than gain in his situation from saying something that's going to you know infuriate inevitably half the people that
3: are listening yeah so but but what impression then did you get from him as in do you feel like? he's a safe pair of hands. Like, does he just give you that air of authority of like, Oh no, it's correct that you are in charge. Oh yeah. He definitely is in
4: charge. Uh, when he toured me through race control and showed me what goes into running a formula one race, it, it, it's so smooth and, and no drama. Uh, you know, I've, I've been in uh, the car. uh, Sometimes I get a ride to the circuit with him, with him, with him and Herbie, which, you know, as as one does, (laughs) And as we're going in, they'll do a little recon lapse around to make sure the hoardings are correct and things that they wanted corrected with barriers are addressed. So, you know, it's interesting seeing him in his element working through these things. But, you know, he's been doing this so long that he's, I think, literally seen everything and, and heard everything that there you could hear in Formula One. Um, and he's been a steady hand through it all, through all of the challenges that it's had. Uh, and, you know, I think, we got to think about you know 5 years from now maybe sooner there's going to be someone else doing that job maybe and that's going to be sad for me not not because of twitter just because i i i kind of have a big part of formula 1 is charlie whiting and what he's done and
3: uh you know what's going to be different when he's not running the sport well hopefully he's 65 now isn't he so it'll be interesting to see how much it continues, what you tend to find is people who are really passionate about their work. they're not the ones that are in a hurry to retire at sixty five yeah. and you know sixty five isn't as old as it used to be well, he's very young, he's fit, he's you know energetic
4: he' obviously still loves it, so I'm hoping he keeps doing it for another twenty years but
0: you
3: know. so how much paddock access do you now you get you you I didn't quite realize. You're painting a picture now of being actually quite close to this Mr. Whiting. So, I mean, how much paddock access does being Mark McArdle get you? Well, after I passed the first audition, uh, when I first met him, uh,
4: Charlie said, well, let me know if you're ever coming to any more races and I'll set you up with passes if I can. So he's been gracious at every race that I've been to uh, since then, uh, there's been a paddock pass for me.
3: Okay, then. So you've been doing this nine years now. What is the best thing that being fake Charlie Whiting has enabled you to do? Because your pinned tweet is you saying, I am grateful for what this account has enabled in yeah. my life. Uh, so, you know, what's what's premium on that list? And are you next in line to get a go in one of those dual-seater Formula One cars? Well,
4: uh, been there, done that. Uh, in the what? U.S. Grand Prix in Austin, ah. the first year they did that, Pirelli had a three-seater. Uh, formula one car experience and they invited me and mrs fake charlie whiting to uh to enjoy that ride so we did that in 20 what was it 2013 i think uh so done that um first year in the paddock the thursday afternoon uh, i had a ride in the medical car I had hot laps in the medical car whoa that was beyond amazing
3: you who, who was um in with you then did you have one of the medics in or did you-
1: and Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
2: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring.
3: No, it
4: was Alan Vandermeer. He was driving, the the medical car driver, the one who is first on scene whenever there's an accident. He was basically doing a lighting uh, and flag test um, to make sure all the lighting systems were ready for the practice sessions the next day. So we were barreling around uh, Montreal circuit in this uh, estate Mercedes AMG. And I couldn't believe how he was thrashing that car around. It was under, there's four Four adult men in the car with 200 kilos of medical equipment.
3: And it was uh, just, uh, what an experience. Crazy ride. Especially when you think some of the conditions that they go out in are generally like uh wet, wet conditions as well. So they've got to be like, yeah. proper skilled drivers to do it. Uh, just going to the chat room here. Uh, Christian is saying, uh, Bet Vettel cussing Charlie out caused a raised eyebrow. And have you discussed that with him? When Vettel, I think it was in Mexico, Basically said, I have a message for Charlie. Um, I didn't discuss it with him. We had a
4: little email thread about some of the things that he's, <laughs> we're starting to hear. Um, you know, most of my interactions with Charlie are, are are by email. Um, you know, I've texted him and phoned him a few times, generally when I'm at the circuit or something like that. But you know, I'm so conscious of how precious his time is. Uh, you know, there there are things that have happened that I shake my head at uh, just thinking about them now. Where I'll have a, a, a question about a technical uh, regulation because I'm a big regulations geek, as you're probably aware.
3: <laughs> Trumpets, so, you are also a regulations geek.
0: I am a regulations geek, and uh, I, I wanted to ask you later on, like your opinion of some of the new regulations. But has he ever expressed an opinion about this current regulation set specifically, like the engines and stuff like that, or or does he deal more with just the? Because I know, actually, you know what? You could ask him. You could ask him to get us copies of the, uh, the, the technical decision directives. Yes. Yes. Oh boy. Would we yeah. ever give various parts of our anatomy for that? But it's long been a decision that that's not public domain. Um, mm-hmm. is it, has he ever talked about why that is, or do you think they might be amenable to changing that?
4: I, I've, I've advocated for that. Um, the last person that actually asked, uh, to do at least something on that regard was Mario who runs, uh, the uh, media side because um, he really controls what information gets, uh, gets sent out. I, I think the, the technical directives are an extension of the full technical regs. And as fans that are into that part of the sport, it's, it's important and entertaining for us to be able to understand well what new degree to de- degrees of freedom have been uh, allowed or, or removed and uh, how the regs are, are being evolved. Cause they largely are, t- are interpretations, tightening of regulations that otherwise meant something, but then teams come back with questions and someone invents some new thing that they think is perfectly legit and nine other teams say is dodgy and, you know, a technical directive comes out.
0: Right. So which was your favorite one this year Uh, of the things that got banned that was like the oil burning or the suspension or my personal favorite, I'll just tell you now, had to be the Ferrari blown axle. That on that that turned itself on and off depending upon steering angle.
4: Yeah, I I think the uh, the magic that was being done because power units have been such a controversial subject for the last few years. I think the uh, use of oil uh, in creative ways is probably the right thing to do. There's so much specificity in the composition of fuel and all the other lubricants. So you know this this isn't a far-reaching new way to to deal with those things. Uh, I think the thing that the new regulation that I, I, I hate the most is uh, the Halos. I I I get the safety argument. I would never want to see a driver injured, but I think they are just ugly as all you know what. I, I, I think they've destroyed the beauty of a Formula One car. And I don't know what the camera angles in the
3: cockpit are going to look like, but it's not going to be pretty. I mean, essentially, all prototypes are both beautiful and disgusting looking. And we have had a habit of, Really ugly F1 cars turning up, and then three weeks later, you you don't notice it. So, like the Caterham of 2014, for example, that looked like an yeah looked like an Anne Summers catalog. You even kind of got used to that.
4: No, no, <laughs> incorrect, wrong. The 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 Toro Rosso was pornographic. The the Caterham was I don't know. It was horrid, a platypusy looking. That never got better that that you maybe you're more tolerant than i am but i thought that season uh, was
3: was one of the low points in aesthetic and design um uh, that's that was the year lotus had the asymmetrical nose as well i think um uh, just yeah. a quick uh, diversion into the chat room low stealth says charlie obviously can't say things has he ever fed something to you that you wanted to say, that he wanted to say but couldn't but i suppose a slightly more realistic version of that is have you ever been inspired by real life Charlie's comments to you and gone, that could be useful in a comedy tweet?
4: Uh, I'm going to say, uh, <laughs> you can't
3: betray the trust or <laughs> well, that's it. The time That's broken. a great question.
4: We
0: have the fifth amendment
4: here in the United States. <laughs> well, you I'm, I'm Canadian. So, uh, so I'm going to say, sorry. Um, <laughs> I think Charlie has definitely inspired me. Um, you know, as I got to know him better, uh, as, as, as much as I, you know, I haven't spent a holiday with him or anything like that, but you know, I've had many hours with him now. And, and I think, uh, he's helped me understand how to communicate some of the esoteric nonsense that goes in
3: Formula One in a, in a more interesting and fun way. So speaking of then things that are not always appreciated from the outside, we touched a little bit on the engineering challenge and I believe, uh, you, you have a technical engineering background. I know you're quite interested in that side of the sport, but the engineering side, I mean, it gets so much less spotlight day to day. And I can tell you from the stats we have, and we have Matthew Summerfield, tech journalist, one of the most knowledgeable tech journalists out there for probably the biggest media outlet uh, on the internet. And it gets 80% of the downloads of the race review shows. Do you find that frustrating as a engineering minded fan?
4: I I do. I think the, the fact that there is two championships every year in Formula One, a constructor and a driver's championship, that's, that's great appeal to me. I think the creativeness of the engineering design and how to build performance and reliability, especially with the length of seasons we have today and, and how long things have to last, that's a big part of the appeal of the sport to me. And, and I, and I resent sometimes when some in the media say no one cares about that stuff. Because there is a big constituency that does care, and they care passionately.
3: And in fact, what you get is you get people arguing that they want more car parity so that they can see who they are interested in, the drivers, see Mm -hmm. which one of them is better. But that kind of blows away the essence of F1, which is that it's an engineering challenge, really. It's an engineering competitive sport. And if if you made the driver much more important in that, then you can kind of tell half the engineers to go home. And there's hundreds of engineers in the team. It's true. It's
4: true. I, I think the part of the uh, challenge here is that costs go out of control when we have a lot of engineering differentiation across the the, the cars and teams. But uh, but ultimately, it's it's a critical part of of Formula One. Otherwise, it's a spec series, and there's lots of other competitors to that.
0: Right. A couple of years ago, um, I, I there was a there was a press conference, one of the Friday press conferences with the engineering people. And I remember. I think Patty Lowe was part of it. And they were talking about the engines. Now, to me, these engines are amazing because they've achieved a 50% thermal efficiency. And that's staggering if you start with just a standard uh, petrol engine. But what he said was it's very frustrating to have created something this magnificent and it gets no publicity from the sport. Now that we have different owners, owners that are clearly aimed at marketing more, Do you do you get the sense that that might be something that could change to a certain extent? Will they be looking to highlight some of these achievements in their drive to publicize the sport? Or do you think it's going to be the same old they're going to get rid of it because it costs too much money, which is what everyone's talking about right now?
4: Well, I'm hopeful that Liberty is going to promote the sport in ways that have never been tried before and use uh paths to new fans that were written off previously but i i'm al- I, i'm also hopeful that they're going to do that in a way that doesn't dilute the concentration of of uh detail that long-term fans especially those on the technical side have have affectionately held on to for many years and and you know they're they're probably in in many ways as big a fan of guys like Adrian Newey as they are uh, Lewis Hamilton, you know, it's, it's great. You know, when I talk to, to kids, um, you know, my, my, my son and his friends, my daughter and her friends about their career choices and the sport that I love that you don't have to just go down the driver path and all of the difficulties that are involved in that go and be a physicist, go and be an aerodynamicist, go be a mechanical engineer, work hard. And one day you can be building cars for the uh, greatest sport in the world.
0: So I'm going to ask one more question if I can. Which is, you're a regulations geek. Now, I know I have my regulations origin story, which is one day I found the link to the FIA page on F1 Technical when I was browsing through it following race coverage. But I'm curious, what's your regulation origin story? When did you start to get interested in them? And and when did it simply, much like any right-thinking person, entirely subsume your normal life?
4: (laughs) Well, I, I think it probably started with uh magazines like Autosport and uh and F one Racing when you know folks like uh like Craig Scarborough, Scarb's F one on Twitter, he's uh one of my favorite uh engineering uh explainers. He he has a way of drawing and explaining
3: things. That uh, makes you want to learn more about it. I have to just interrupt there to say that Craig Scarborough is going to be on our sister Formula E podcast, hosted by Matt Trumpets, uh, show run by Chris Stevens. They're going to be talking to Scarbs tomorrow night. Um, just Chris, unfortunately, because I mucked up the scheduling, scheduling uh, and Matt can't get on there. So make sure you follow E Radio Show on Twitter. Yeah, sorry, Mark, but yeah, these these communicators of engineering are actually quite rare, though. So Scarbs at that level, he's incredible and his chats with Peter Windsor. Um yep. but then you go down a level, sorry, Summers, uh to um Summerfield and his his kind of generation coming up. And I mean he's there going, Ow oh, now, uh, the aerodynamics on the Y two K vortex and that's what we've got. Where we we there's not as many people focusing on that engineering as there is the sporting side and the driver side and the glamour side, trumpets.
0: Did you literally just say Y2K for
3: tax? Did I get it wrong? Is it not right? Y50. Y50. I do 50. Oh look at you nerds laughing at me for getting the name of a Aero swirly wrong. That is the that is like reverse nerd pressure. I would be beating you guys up at school. Uh but yeah, so yeah, that communication um it just it just isn't there and it is frustrating to me that you know people turn off. I mean even in this conversation I bet 20% of the live stream just dropped off. <laughs>
4: Well, I'll tell you when, when the regs have come in handy, it's when people are losing their mind in, on Twitter saying someone should get uh, a grid penalty or someone should be given this or excluded. Excluded. You, you reference the regs. What do the sporting regs have to say about it? If it's a sporting issue, what do the technical regs? And people have to understand the technical regs. It's kind of black and white. Your car either conforms or it doesn't. There's no, you know, grid penalties for for things that happen in the technical regs. Those are all sporting regulation related, like things like replacing gearboxes and and components of power units. But uh, you know, I, I like being able to sprinkle some facts uh, during the uh, the intense maelstroms of debates over whether Seb should be kicked out or sent to the sent to the the pit lane to start.
0: Do we have time for a chat room question? Of course um, we have.
3: Of course we have.
0: Your fellow Canadian in the chat room is very concerned about TV coverage. In the future and wondering whether or not Canada might lose the uh, sky coverage. I know here in the States, we're maybe a little bit excited about getting uh, streaming via the app, although we don't have confirmed details on that yet. But but do you, do you know anything about those plans?
4: Uh, I don't know anything official. I've been asking. Uh, I think the last couple of years, we've actually gotten more coverage in Canada than, than we had previously. We were getting pretty much the full sky pre-post show. Uh, we were getting drivers parade uh, well free practice two, drivers parade uh, quali uh, the race with all pre post I hope that continues this year if not
3: um, you know there will be a Twitter outrage the likes of which you've never seen what should we do we've got a few minutes left with um, with Mark here why don't we discuss just a little bit of Big Dirty News Yeah, talking through some of the news, because I know that you are obviously somebody who keeps a very close eye on, on what is going on in the sport. And you two have both been watching this 24 hours of Detona, which has featured quite a lot of Formula One drivers. I know, Matt, you've probably missed the very end there. Um, but what, what did you make of that? Did we, did we kind of learn anything from our F1 boys doing this form of motorsport? And, and how, how relevant is it to F1 fans? Would you suggest to all F1 fans, yes, jump on these type of events even if you're only interested in seeing how the F1 drivers did?
4: I think if you haven't watched endurance races uh, or been to an endurance race, give it a shot. Uh, one of the things I think is amazing about both the uh, World World Endurance Championship and the IMSA race that we just saw this weekend is that the, uh, the mix of drivers from different sports, Formula One, IndyCar, uh, you know, tin top touring. Uh, there, there, there. There's a diverse grid, and it's amazing to see how it all comes together over over 24 hours. It's fascinating racing.
0: Yeah, and don't forget NASCAR. And I think watching Alonzo go to IndyCar and watching him come here, I think one of the best things has been is is cross pollination of these sports, where really they're all motorsports, and they ought to be. They ought to. Together, they ought to be building a common audience for all motorsports, understanding that not everybody likes every individual thing. And I think that his moves that direction have really probably helped Formula One, at least in the United States, uh, quite a bit. I don't know if it makes that big of a difference elsewhere, but that those are large potential new audiences that you're appealing to. Um, one of the things that I found most interesting was uh, I was listening to the Radio Le Mans coverage, and... One of the drivers on said the big difference is that you only have seven hours of nighttime in, in Le Mans because it's in the summertime. But that at Daytona, it's it's near about half dark. And that's where a lot of stuff happened this
3: this year. Was was there a question anywhere in that, Matt?
0: I, I was just throwing it out there for him to talk about things that might have happened at night that he was interested in. But that's okay.
4: Well, you know, it, nighttime is always more dramatic. I, even the end car footage... From any endurance rate at at night, especially if it's raining. Fortunately, we didn't have much rain uh, this weekend, but it's uh, it just hats off to the kind of skill involved in doing this for the kind of stints they do. The um, I think one of the big stories for for uh, the Rolex Twenty Four is the tires seem to be a a pretty big uh, effect. You know, a lot of failures. Um, you know, it's it's it. like Lance Stroll. I heard him interviewed talking about the uh case okay, staying off the curbs now you know it's a theme we have heard from time to time in Formula One uh but you know th- this is uh this is endurance racing you know it's it's 24 hours it's hardcore
0: yeah it is it's interesting to me about the tires that you bring that up because the um I know that last year's winners actually abandoned the race because they had five failures of their right rear tire now with Daytona they have ovals so i think that played into it but what the tire company initially said was what we've heard actually from pirelli which is you shouldn't run out of camber out of pressure settings and you won't have that problem but then that turned out not to entirely be i think they're still trying to figure out what happened because there were an extraordinary number of failures and particularly of the right rear Mm
4: yeah um, they'll figure it out they always do they'll move on but uh, ford performance uh I went to the Canadian IMSA race, uh, this past summer and got to spend some time in the garage with the Ford performance, the Ford GT team. And wow, those cars are something they, they the road cars are amazing. And those are basically road cars with a, a little extra tuning. Uh but the sound they make and the performance they put in this weekend, they've really established themselves in that, uh, GT Le Mans class as the uh, top of the field.
0: Yeah, those are some of my favorite cars of all time. Those four GTs are just so mm-hmm. iconic looking. I uh, let me ask you a question. Uh the car, uh the the Whalen DPI Cadillac, um driven by Felipe Nazar, who was a Formula Formula Form, Formula One driver, former Formula One driver, I'll say it right, uh actually finished second. And I noticed that in the discussions for the um Williams seat that may or may not have been up for bid. He didn't really seem to feature very prominently in that and and is is, is a clear, clear supporter of your hometown boy, Lance Stroll. Do you mm-hmm. think they might have missed a trick in, in overlooking him?
4: Time will tell. I mean, this is part of the great speculation side sport of Formula One is when you see a move like Williams taking uh, basically two young guys and uh, and saying, well, we're we're going to make a go of it. Their heroes or zeros, right? It's it's a it's a it's a it's a risky move, but uh, you know, Nasser may have may de risked that,
3: but you know, yeah, it's a risky Economics move. involved yeah. and all kinds of things that we don't aren't, aren't privy to. I was going to say it's a risky move. Let's see if it pays off. It, it might mm-hmm. well do. It probably already has. Yeah. It has. Yeah.
0: yeah. All right. So I, I got one more question, which is. Obviously, not every Formula One driver was in the race this year. But if you could have picked one more person to have raced this year against this current field, who of the current Formula One drivers would you most like to have seen in a cockpit? Uh,
4: Of all time or, uh, you know, just just
0: from from current Formula
3: One drive in this year's race.
4: Jolly and Palmer. No, Um...
3: (laughs) it's not funny, Mark. It's not a funny joke we uh, finished. finished.
4: <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I politely disagree. <laughs> um, boy, you know, I, I had actually emotionally really wanted to see Robert Kubica come back. Um, you know, that would have been just a great story, but that didn't pan out. Um, you know, Jensen Button, I've loved him for to death, but you know, he's he's on to other things, and, and he's more than done his time. Same with Mark Weber. When Weber left, that really hit me because. That was one of the few guys in the paddock that you know really didn't listen to the corporate handlers. He spoke, uh, you know, his mind. He called it as he see- sees it. He, you know, you put a microphone in front of him when he gets out of the car. He'll say something that will be noteworthy and uh, and oftentimes correct and sometimes completely offside. But the characters like
3: that—that's what I I love. I loved uh, that I mean, after you know, the multi twenty one in the press conference and stuff and he's slamming his water on and it's more it was more aggressive that he was putting on a veil of hiding his anger when he clearly was not hiding his anger at all yes exactly so why don't we get a a view uh, since you're you know a regs guy and a regulation guy and a, a technically minded man why don't we get your your view on next season because i can taste the formula one season approaching i think it's something like Many, many, many days away, yet I can still feel it. I think it's 59 days uh, until Australia. Yeah. Um, but we had a really fascinating engineering battle last year, mm-hmm. where we had Red Bull just drop the ball at the beginning of the season, it seems, yet you, you saw their talent as they progressed through the season. You saw how they were engineering their way out of a problem. And then we kind of saw Ferrari out the opposite, uh, and then of course, Mercedes were able you know, to do both. How do you see that? Uh, unfolding next season my my current suspicion is we just won't see Ferrari as strong I think they, they, they had that peak whereas the Red Bull model seems a bit more sustainable
4: well there's what I hope happens and what I think is going to happen are probably two different things I hope that Ferrari has over the uh, winter uh, learned from what worked and didn't work last year and is going to come out strong uh, but you know they've they've really been listless like they 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 the good old days where they had strong aerodynamic leadership and direction they had you know power that was the the envy of the class uh that those are not the days we're living in today and there's been a lot of turnover and there's constant speculation and 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 uh uh you know the 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 constant talk of we're leaving the sport you know whenever major changes are happening so it it's it's got to be a difficult environment to to try and build a championship car uh, on the Red Bull side, boy, you know, that's a team that is used to winning in the not-so-distant future, and uh, it's got to be killing them that they haven't been there. And, you know, they they have thrown Renault under the bus more times than I can count, uh, and uh, we'll see how things uh, progress this year. But Newey, Newey-Designed cars, hopefully he's spending less time on boats and more time on the Formula One car,
3: uh, and Mercedes is Mercedes. The only slight sniff we've been able to really get, though, from the Red Bull team is there seems to be a genuine animosity between them and Renault. Like, it's not for show. I think Red Bull feel oh, yeah. genuinely kind of robbed by by how Renault have performed in the hybrid era. Sure. I,
4: I don't think anyone objective would say that Renault lived up to their own standards and expectations as a championship uh, factory um, power plant. Uh, but the... You know, when we saw this spill out, like when when Cyril and uh, and Christian and and Helmet are having battles in the in the pit lane, you know it's it's not for show; it's real.
0: Yeah, well, I I would actually say the opposite. I would say that the real issue is Mercedes savagely exceeded everybody's expectations when they turned up to this new set of regulations, and it put Renault under a pressure that they lacked the financial resources and managerial resources to respond to in a timely fashion. I mean, even Ferrari had to pretty much throw the kitchen sink at it to get close.
4: Yeah. Well, that's, that touches on one of the things that has bothered me for more probably all time, really in the modern era formula one, the disparity between the resources a formula one team like Mercedes can throw at something and someone like a force India, uh, you know, and they're all competing on the same regs, you know, for the same championship points, uh, and then the economics of it just further exacerbate that. And, you know, some teams get a $100 million head start.
3: So that's tough. So how are you sensing that Red Bull are going to respond to Honda? Because let's make no mistake, Toro Rosso Honda is just a beta test, isn't it, for a Red Bull Honda. So can you see that going any better? Because obviously McLaren gave Honda a lot of heat. Red Bull are not going to be any more patient with them, are they?
4: I, I, I'm perplexed most by Honda's lack of getting it better in the, in the many years they've had to get it better. It, it's, it's a lack of material progress that, that bothers me. That's not saying, well, in two more years, they're going to nail it. Well, in two more years, everyone else is going to be faster too. They need significant strides in both reliability and performance. And, you know, there's, there's just something broken. The old Honda. Uh, Williams kind of days where boy that that just worked that, that's not obviously happening today and I think you know all these things boil down to organizations that are led by leaders that set you know the direction
3: for the everything that, that goes on there and the results accordingly. And then speaking of leaders before we let you go just a quick word on on liberty because so much of what you're doing is in this new social media space that the old guard of Formula One more or less ignored and I've got no ulterior motive for asking this but you know are you confident that liberty are gonna embrace all these forms of media podcasts uh and in general have you been impressed by their stewardship the only thing that
4: liberty has done that really annoyed me was change the logo (laughs) i lost my mind and i know a lot of people say it's a superficial little thing but i have a decades-long emotional connection to that logo um so that that you know, still annoys me. I look at the new one today and I still, you know, doesn't do anything for me. Uh, But that, that aside, uh, I think that there is more to be hopeful with Liberty than concerned about. I think that they're definitely open to new ideas. The two seater stuff we're seeing, the uh, ability for drivers and other uh, grid uh, team personnel to Instagram and, and do some video to show the things that fans, you know, were desperate to see, you know, that's, it, when when I was when I'm in the paddock, it was always wor- I was always worried I was going to get in trouble. You know, I was, am I going to can I do a little uh, live video? No, you, you can't. You know, Bernie will throw you out. And uh, you know, if your camera doesn't have the right sticker on it, you get tossed out. And so so it's it was a very scary you know don't break the bend or even come close to bending the rules kind of era. I think Liberty's being more creative, and through that, there's going to be mistakes. So I think we should as fans. In the age of instant outrage, try to take a deep breath. When something happens that maybe isn't fully baked, uh, just give them the benefit of the doubt and
3: know that they're trying to make it better. I think I've got a good example of that from Rob Graham in the chat room. He's saying, you know, the driver intro in the USA, that springs to mind as well. Now... Matt is an American, I am probably uh, an Americanophile, I don't know what the correct term for that is, but I I do like that glitz and glamour, I like making a big deal of it, and for me, seeing those gladiators come out to the music and the interviews and Buxton following them and explosions, I was over the moon, but I'm sensing from your face that you don't feel the same. I I think the uh, concept was probably good.
4: I just think some of the execution, like the "Let's Get Ready to Rumble" guy, uh, you know, you like him. Maybe that's a generational thing. I, (laughs) I look at that and think that's more world wrestling than it is Formula One. Um, But, but I think anything that that exposes fans to the drivers in a more natural state, as much as walking through a tunnel full of fireworks onto the grid, is a natural state. But you know, they do that in other sports, and I think it's it's kind of endearing. You know, it builds up the storyline.
0: Well, again, the chat room is bringing up the airing of the driver briefings, and particularly some of the uh, cuts that, that we've seen yeah. uh, floating around on the internet. I, I think, personally, that's brilliant. Uh, so I take it you're in favor of that sort of thing as well?
4: Oh, yeah, I've loved that cut, especially the one they did where they made it at the office. Like yes. that. Whoever did that, two thumbs up from Fake Charlie. That was brilliant. Um, I think those things are great, but there's unintended consequences for everything. You know, a driver's meeting where a driver knows he's going to be broadcast to tens or hundreds of millions of people on YouTube is probably going to be more mindful of what he's saying and how open he's going to be. And those are, you know, supposed to be safety discussions as well as, you know, here's what's going on in the circuit this weekend. So I would not want, uh... Anyone to not feel comfortable bringing something up in a driver's meeting because it is now a, a broadcast platform. Uh, you know that that's not the intention, but these are the things that smart guys that are running the sport have to think about. And how much of that we get? Maybe the first 15 minutes is fairly pedestrian stuff for for them, but it's highly entertaining for us to see. That's where they could broadcast. Then the cameras are closed, and then it's okay. Anything left that we want to discuss in
3: in camera. Excellent. Mark, would you mind helping us select our comment of the week this week? Oh, God. Don't worry. It's not that hard. Matt does most of the work. Matt, have we got any candidates for... Comment of the week. And this is, of course, to do with the live stream comments. What have we got there, Matt?
0: Yes. Well, starting off with our own friend, Michael Howland, Spanners will have to get himself a Canadian City T-shirt for next time instead. (laughs) Your personal favorite, uh, does Matt's background need an iron?
3: Yes, it does. Your green screen is wrinkly.
0: <laughs> yes, I know. It needs more light as well, but c'est la vie. Uh, LGH Jetma, quote, he broke my you know wedding head in reference to the uh, whacking Michael Schumacher.
3: Yes, that was uh, Montoya, yeah? uh
0: absolutely uh uh felix bolin y2k vortex the <laughs> vortex to end it
3: all i'm not gonna live that down am i sorry i just don't listen when summers is talking
0: no it's all good and then uh philip allen not bad for a number two driver referencing mark weber in the infamous press conference mm-hmm.
3: all right does any any of those tickle you mark as a comedy twitter genius
4: well, they're all good, and I feel I should probably refer them all to the stewards where they can decide, but it looks like I'm not being given that option. Yeah, hey, no? uh, I I think because it is an epic example of uh, self-inflicted injury, going to have to go with Y2K Vortex.
3: Don't! Don't! <laughs> See, normally with Matt, I can overrule it. However, unfortunately, who said that one comment, uh, Matt?
0: Felix Bolin. Oh, you
3: traitor! He's crew as well. Uh, We've got to give it to him. Comment of the week mark it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you as somebody who has been you know a persistent part of all our twitter experiences that in itself has to be gratifying enough
4: that's the best part of it all the fun that it that it is the fun that I'm having with other people, the people I've gotten to meet uh and not just people who are in sport journalists and and people working on teams, the fans that that I get to meet and those words that I I now am more comfortable hearing whenever I go to a race, inevitably I'll hear a number of times, hey, are you fake Charlie Whiting? And I will have to, with some level of humility and embarrassment and awkwardness, say, yes, I am. My name is
3: Mark. And, you know, but that's
4: that's the best part of it all. It's 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 been an adventure.
3: And the real comment of the week has just come in from Christopher Fonseca in the chat room. Not bad for a number two Charlie Whiting and I think <laughs>
4: alright uh, I revise it number one that's the winner
3: <laughs> and on that note um, we'll follow you at um, is it Charlie underscore Whiting correct and follow Matt at Matt PT 55 and me at Spanners Ready and the show at Missed Apex F1 Guys, I'm sure we can try and convince Mark to come and chat to us uh, in the regular season to give us some opinions of the season as it rolls in. I'm trying to look at his eyes to gauge whether he thinks that would be a good idea or not. There's a polite nod, uh, but until you speak to him again, until you hear from us again, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Verified Fake with Mark